instead of the red wine from last week. No, you got white. Cheers, yeah. Just, <laughs> just mixing it up. You are. And I've got the, the pink stuff again. The old Ribena. Well, we can't say Ribena, really, can we? We've just done it twice. Do you know, do you know what? <laughs> we, we've done it twice now in two episodes, but it's like calling the vacuum cleaner a hoover, which is very old-fashioned. Or do people now, youngsters, do they call it the Dyson? No, I think they'd still call it the hoover. In America, they call the photocopier the Xerox, don't they, as well? And also Tannoy. Over the Tannoy is a brand as well. Oh, is it? I thought that yeah. was a, a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> Loudspeaker. Is that what it should be called? Exactly. <laughs> okay. So the pink juice is what I'm drinking today. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I can't imagine yeah. that the lawyers are going to be onto us, quite frankly. But... Well, hopefully not, anyway, because we have corrected ourselves. So, yeah. So, films. Have you watched anything this week? I haven't, but I did. Do you know what? You know, I don't normally watch films twice, apart from obviously mm. when watching some of these oldies. But mm. I decided to watch When Harry Met Sally again. Yay! Because I just and thought. Well, I just did thought. Did you still like it as much thought, as the first time? Yeah, I re- yeah, I, I just really liked it again, and I was so pleased. I thought I never normally think. Oh, I fancy putting on a film. Why don't I just watch a film that I really like again? And, and see if I like it again. And yeah, just as awesome. Yeah, I've watched many TV series. I've watched Behind Her Eyes. What a twist at the end, eh? I know. That was that was very good on Netflix. And then also Wonder Vision. Wonder Vision. <laughs> Not banned, which is on Disney Plus. And the finale was pretty good, actually. I quite liked it. And it little bit opens it up for potentially a new series. Funny that. Or, leads into one of the other Marvel films. Yeah, I'm still to finish it, but I hope that this time next week... It just gets better and better each week, to be honest. Each um, episode that's been released, so yeah, it's pretty good, actually. But I wish they just had these nuggets of, oh, that's interesting, where's it going to go earlier on in the series? Because I think they probably lost a heap of, of watchers. Hang on. That was the door. There's somebody at the door. There's somebody at the door can't remember what tv series that was from that was from grot bags i think are you gonna love this so i never get anything <laughs> delivered through the door right <laughs> all right because everyone's got their own mailboxes because they live in a block of flats mm-hmm. someone's come through the door which really freaked me out because i thought what someone's like breaking into my flat but you're gonna love this because i know what it is it is the Blu-ray of... <laughs> big. Of Excellent. Big, Yay. Well, fantastic timing, that is. I know. How about that? I've so got that... a big poster on my desk. It's very cool. That's why I watched Harry Met Sally, because I think I remember telling you, if, if a film gets, say, 10, mm. then I'm getting it on Blu-ray to start a collection. So that's why I've got mm. big and why I have um, Harry Met Sally. Cool. And did you do your exercise for the week? What was it? Three hours, 57 minutes we had to complete? I did. I've worked it out because I did four runs. Mm -hmm. And so I've got the exact time for those because they get logged on Strava, which was Mm -hmm. 231 minutes and 39 seconds, which I know is short. But then I also did a long walk of the weekend. And then I also did an hour's walk on Sunday. So if that all counts, then I've definitely done it. Yeah, all good. I have done quite a few walks 
So one at the start of the week, then I had two long walks over the weekend or nearly an hour, both of those. And then I did two runs and I think I've gone over the three hours. So I think we're more looking at four hours, something once you total up, but it is on my Strava. So people can have a look if they want. To oh, you see. I, okay. I will start to do this just to make sure everything is logged on Strava. Cause I'm getting, I have mm. this bad habit of only logging runs on Strava, but if anyone's wondering what we're talking about, this is an exercise challenge that we have set ourselves, which uh, we did at the end of the last podcast, which is running or walking or steps, whatever you want to do to hit the total running time of the two films that we selected, which added up exactly. to three hours, 57 minutes. Which is a r- river runs through it and Rhea and the last dragon. Yeah. I've certainly exercised more this week <laughs> towards the end of the week. I'm going to space it out a bit more over the week because uh, I noticed I did a lot over this weekend. Do you reckon you did more because of this? Yeah, I did. Awesome. Love <laughs> so it. So it just goes to show how lazy I am during the week. <laughs> no, that's, not what, that's not what I was <laughs> implying at all. I was, just, I was just thinking, well, that's a good thing, isn't it? That it's... It is a good thing. And then, and we've also got a, like a new treadmill. So I ran around Switzerland, a lake in Switzerland. It was great. Oh, was it nice out there? I've always yeah, wanted to go to Switzerland. Saw, Would you recommend I went, it? I went round this lake and it had lots of Swiss cows with bells nice, on. Nice. Yeah. And um, the instructor I was following was stopping now and then to say hello to the cows. Crazy. <laughs> yeah. And there was lots of people looking like they were about to dive into the lake. Nice sunny day. Beautiful. This sounds amazing. So was this like quite it's on it's on a screen it's nordic track then and and there are other suppliers obviously yeah Um, you've just done it again i mean how many brands have just reeled (laughs) off it but is it like a um you know like a like a video yeah you get a video and you can choose a challenge or you can do walking if you want but i wanted to do a run so you could follow the trainer or you can just go my speed which is slow plodding and and no incline whatsoever is it like an actual as if you are a video has been literally produced going through that exact yeah. location in yeah. switzerland yeah oh, that's pretty cool that's why we've got it <laughs> so make it a bit more interesting it gets a bit yeah. boring otherwise isn't it on a treadmill so right. there you have it very good so river runs through it should we do that one first let's do that one first can I just, I've got, <laughs> you a, got a smile on your face. I'd say I've got a smile on my face. Well, there's a couple of reasons. So I had to try and watch both the films we picked mm-hmm. yesterday as like a double header, but it didn't happen because I got distracted by a football match. So I ended up watching Ray and the Last Dragon last night, which meant I got up super early this morning to watch River Runs Through It. Oh, wow. So it's watch- very, very fresh. Well, they're both quite fresh, but that one in particular is fresh in my memory. Anyway. So what was the football game? Who were the... Uh... You don't really want to start talking about football. Now, just tell me the teams. It was Spurs Palace. Uh, and I was only watching it because I had I had someone in my fantasy team playing in the game, Gareth Bale, All right. who scored uh... two goals. So at least it was worth it. Normally, yeah. if I watch a football match, it's utter dross. So I always <laughs> normally regret having wasted almost two hours of my life when I could have watched <laughs> a film or something. Yeah, I don't watch the football games, to be honest. But Wise choice, wise choice. You supported, so. So River runs through it. Uh, are you going to laugh at it again? No, there's not. Is, not, it, because, it, is it just because you watched it this morning? I can't say the other reason why I laughed. I'll tell you once we're, uh. once we're finished. <laughs> Okay. So I remember watching this as a, probably as a teenager. And yes, it has Brad Pitt 
And he's a good looking man, but you get to see more of his acting capabilities, I would say, in this film than you did in Thelma and Louise, which he did a year or two before. It's directed by Robert Redford, and this is his third film that he's directed. He's directed others since. So it's an autobiographical novel by Norman McLean. It's obviously got good relationship, Robert Redford and Brad Pitt, because they've also performed together in Spy Game in 2021. And I think they look a little bit alike, actually. And that might be why he sees something, Robert Redford sees something in, in Brad Pitt, I would say. But let's get back to the film. It stars Craig Schaefer, Emily Lloyd, Tom Skerritt, Brenda Blethen, and Robert Redford was the narrator for the older Norman. And it's a story about brotherhood, really, from when they're young children through to adulthood with brother Norman as Schaefer. Craig Schaefer. And did you spot the younger Norman Robertal? Yes, I did see him. I did, but I have to flag that you did point it out to me before I watched it. But I I still wasn't really quite prepared for what age he was in this film. So um, he was about 10 or 11. Yeah, I I know. Incredible. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt, so he was the younger Norman, and then we had Schaefer as the older Norman. And then the younger brother is Paul, and that's played by Brad Pitt. We see them growing up in the early 1900s in Missoula, Montana. They have a very strict but loving father who is reverent, played by Tom Skerritt, and a loving mother. So the three men enjoy fishing from childhood through to adulthood. And if I had that stunning rushing water on my doorstep, I would certainly spend more time near it because it's gorgeous. Paul, Brad Pitt, is a little wilder than his, his older brother. And actually you can see that when he was younger as well. He gets into fight, challenges his friends to go down wild rapids. He's into gambling. He's, he's just a bit cheeky, but very smiley all the way through. And he's got a real nice charisma about him. And he seems to be very popular with friends and, and parents. Whereas you see Norman really a little bit left out on occasions, a little left behind. However, they pretty much do everything together when they're, they're home together in Montana. And Paul always takes the blame if things go wrong. And he's very protective over his brother as well. So he does take the blame, which is, I thought, fair dues. He's, that's quite an honourable thing to do. And Paul gets jealous when his brother falls in love with Jesse. And it gets a bit sour as well when Paul goes a little bit far on occasions. The family seem delighted when Norman lands his professor role at the University of Chicago, but Paul is absolutely gutted that he's leaving him at the same time. The main reason really why I love this film is because it's amazing cinematography and it's Oscar winning for that as well. The beautiful scenes of the river. I'm not really into fishing, but I I do naturally just relax around water. It's got a lot of sentiment. I think about my relationship with my sister when I watch this and how close friends we are, but always there's always some competitiveness or jealousy as most siblings have, I would say. And it's reflected in this film as well. However, this film has got a sad ending, which did make me cry. And I did text you, Rob, and said, I I cried during this film. But that just goes to show that they've taken me on a bit of a journey and and it, it touched me, basically. So, Rob, as I always say, I'd love to get your thoughts, but did you have a connection with the film at all? Yeah, no, I did. I mean, I've got a brother, so... Hmm. I suppose it's hard not to watch it without thinking about that. And the whole film yeah. obviously is about family as well. Yeah. I suppose the kind of push and pull that's always there. Hmm. I really like this film. I mean, I was only joking last week with the remarks about the uh, eye candy in Brad Pitt. 
because I actually thought this was one of his better performances, or I don't know if it was one of his best performances, but definitely seemed to really suit him, I thought, Mm. in terms of the range needed to play the character, because like you say, he had the charisma, he had the charm, but he was a little bit unhinged, which ultimately was his downfall. Um, he was the one who never wanted to leave Montana. He was the one that hung around and he became a journalist, but he was loved gambling on the side, loved to kind of take risks on the side that his family never knew of, but Norman did. And Norman, as much as he was always concerned about him, never spilled the beans to his parents no, about exactly. this other part of his life. And that devotion he had, regardless of where those risks took him, that, that amazing bond they had just was never broken. Mm. And yeah, it's funny, I I annoyingly did see somewhere, I mean, I do tend to do this when I watch a film, and I've really got to stop it, but I should have just gone straight to IMDb, but I stupidly ended up on Google, and I saw some comment that effectively gave away the sad ending, should we say. But in a weird way, I think if most people watched it, you probably think something's not going to end quite well. I mean, we don't need to say anything more than that, do we? But no. it was like the warmest breeze washing over you, this film. Mm. Like this, mm. I mean, it won an Oscar, didn't it, for cinematography? Absolutely not surprising. It's about fly fishing and the whole almost kind of religion. I think it's mentioned at the very beginning in the voiceover that, that there was nothing between religion and fly fishing. Obviously, as their father being a reverend and also teaching the fly fishing to the two boys and that really being their life. Everything was about fly fishing. It was a reason why, one of the reasons, I think, why Paul would never leave Montana because it was that important to him, even though all mm. three of them had, had a connection to it. So, of course, all the scenes of them fly to fishing and the amazing scenery in Montana. And it was just so, so easy to watch. It, and I, I think it's actually the perfect kind of Sunday afternoon movie. And the performances, the characters were warm and friendly and just had an amazing heart and soul to it especially with the main themes of family and loyalty and I talked last week about the film I Care A Lot and how I will always be more affected by those films with characters that you can invest in and themes that you can relate to. And so this, I suppose, completely the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Kind of relate to almost every single character in this film. You kind of get into the skin of almost all of them. And yeah, I just, I absolutely loved it. I I thought it was a fantastic, understated performance from Tom Skerritt as the dad. Mm -hmm. I didn't know much about Craig Sheffer, who plays Norman. Obviously, he's probably one of the trio of the main characters that hasn't gone on to the same success as Brad Pitt and probably Mm -hmm. not as big also as Tom Skerritt. I thought his performance was fantastic. I thought his character was so, so engaging. I almost felt like if you saw the film, I mean, obviously... It's narrated by Norman, so inevitably you see everything through his eyes. Maybe that's partly why he had that chance to shine. But yeah, I, I really did, really, really did like it. And, yeah. you know, and when I was watching, I thought, you know, fair play to Robert Redford. It wasn't his first film as director, but it got so much acclaim for him, especially with the, the Oscar win and the nominations he received as well. So, uh, yeah, I, I was really... I mean, that, and that's why, by the way, I was smiling stroke laughing early because ah, I wasn't right. expecting it to have that impact on me at all. This is a bit like Big and, and Harry Met Sally. You haven't watched them and, and you, you tend to like them, which is cool. I know. 
but if you think about it, mm. when Harry met Sally, has a very, very kind of warm, relaxed mm-hmm. feeling to it. And in a weird way, Big does as well, in so much yeah. as that everything's relatively warm about it. Mm. And it's the same with this. And maybe that, yeah, maybe that's why I like these types of films. I just find they put you in a nice state of mind whilst you're watching them. So it's actually a nice experience. And I just love all these warm, genuine, important themes that run through them. So, yeah, I, I really liked it. And you're, yeah, as I say, Brad Pitt is very, very good in it. He is, he is. And Emily Lloyd, I forgot she was in this actually. And I've not really seen much else come from her since. So she's got a very sort of Bugsy Malone look about her, isn't she? Sort of that era. And it very much suits her as well. But I know that she looks like she's took a career break from 2008 to 2021. So I don't you know whether she's had children during that period or just needed a break. But those that don't know for factoid, is she is the daughter of Trigger from uh, Only Fools and Horses. So Roger Lloyd Pack. And he was also in The Vicar of Dibley as well. And she's just been recently in a film called No Reason, but unfortunately it's not scored great on IMDb. Tom Skerritt, on the other hand, has, has done a heap of movies. I mean, he started, you know, in the early days of with Alien as Dallas. He's been in MASH, he's been in Top Gun, Contact, Ted, more comedy, really. He's done also voiceover for The Phantom 52, which was more recent, but I haven't seen much else from him recently. Skerritt has performed with Robert Redford before, 30 years before in, in War Hunt. However, um, apparently Skerritt says this is his favourite film. Out of all the ones he's done, this is his favourite. Now, hes I was surprised how old he is. I looked at his age. He's 88 this year. And I couldn't get over that. I couldn't believe that, that he was that much older than you think he is. He must have been to Sweden or something and drank some of their water because he certainly looks younger in the films that he does. Uh, Brad Pitt, apparently factoid here for you, trained himself to fly fish for about four weeks before the film. And also River Phoenix auditioned to play Paul. And uh, Lloyd and Bo Bridges were also considered to be the two brothers, but I can't see those two working. I think they would have been too old as well. And I think Brad Pitt just brings it to life with his charisma and and his, I don't know, with his smiles and stuff, whereas River Phoenix seems a much darker character. I've never seen him really be all jolly and smiley in any of his films, really. So that would have been a complete contrast if he did take that role. It cost $12 million to make, so not a huge budget, but it only took $43 million worldwide gross. So it didn't do hugely well, which surprises me. And I think it was just the start of Brad's career, really. I know he did Thelma and Louise, but he was starting to take off after this film and his acting capabilities were shown. Last week on the podcast, I was thinking that Aidan Quinn was in this. And of course, Aidan Quinn was with Brad Pitt in Legends of the Fall, Mm-hmm. And I think the reason I got them a little bit confused was because, well, it, this film came only two years before Legends in the Fall, which is also a brotherly story, which was also based in Montana. And again, the scenery played a big part in it. So I think that's why I got them confused. I suppose the only other thing I wanted to say, which I did find really interesting about the film, is that relationship between the two brothers. I mean, you talked about it briefly. It's almost like they both wanted to be each other. I mm. felt Brad Pitt's Paul wanted to be Norman. Norman was the one that was living more of a straight life. And so in a weird way, he was getting the accolades from his parents in terms of the good job and he went to college. And yet there was Paulie who stayed at home as a journalist and was known everywhere. And I think he was known for his charisma. He was a very likable guy. And he was also 
And he was also the most talented fisherman in the end. I think that was the key thing. Mm -hmm. he, you know, mm -hmm. they, they referred to him being a, an artist. And so they both had their strengths. Yeah. But I think they also both were maybe not as comfortable within themselves as they could because there was parts of the other one that I think maybe they wanted to be. But that's something, if you completely strip it down to the fact that, you know, mm. often with siblings, yeah. you know, they will have different relationships with the parents, you know, they're the golden child or they're this or that. You know, you can strip it down and, and see some of those themes in it, yes. however, however nuanced it is in this film. So, and I think that's another reason why you can, you know, there's there's other that's bits why... that you can relate to. Yeah, exactly, and that's that's what I mentioned about my sister as well. And he, there's always a bit of sibling, not rivalry. I would say no, there's always a little exactly. bit of jealousy. It's a little bit of jealousy. Um, but I did feel that Paul was the golden boy for quite a while, where we had Norman trying to compete and get people's attention a bit more, and and even just when he was dating Jesse as well. I mean, he started being you know one of the popular boys in the family on that side of the family, and then comes Jesse's brother. He comes home. And he's a tennis player, isn't he? Is he famous? I don't know. He's doing quite well on the tennis circuit. <laughs> I love when they, they go out for their fishing trip and he's absolutely plastered when he arrives and is late. And the two brothers are not impressed, I have to say. And then they see they see the girl that's with him and they've all spent time with the girl. Let's just say that because <laughs> it's such a close-knit community. And then <laughs> well, she's, got, she's got a reputation as well, hasn't she? <laughs> She was hilarious, though. I did have to say she was she was um, quite entertaining in the film. I thought that was a really nice scene, though, because this guy, I, I couldn't work out. There's a reference to Jesse's brother as someone who went out to try and make it in Hollywood. But then, like you say, there was reference to him as a tennis player. Davis so Cup. Davis Cup. But, yeah. but anyway, I thought that was a really nice part of the film yeah. because... He was a complete idiot and he was trying to pretend he was living this fancy life and you knew he was completely flawed. And then you see him when he's, he comes back to the family home, excuses himself and, the, and like, you know, hours later he's, he's in this like, backward bar in the middle of nowhere getting absolutely hammered like yeah. he used to say with this lady around him. The next morning he's supposed to be meeting Paul and Norman for, the, for this fishing and yeah, it just showed you what great guys the two brothers were, that their instinct wasn't to kind of cut him loose and, no. and leave him. They, no. they were, their job, as it were, was to, to help, you know, help him fish. And there's a really nice remark when Norman's kind of lying there thinking, why should we bother helping him as he's passed out with this naked woman, like just further down the path. <laughs> And uh, you know, he's kind of given up on him. And Brad Pitt's character gets maybe what he would appreciate is just trying to help him. And I just thought that was such a nice thing because mm. often you don't realise some people want your help because they're asking not very good it. at asking mm. for it. And in mm. this case, he was clearly a character who completely messed himself up. But I think at heart, he was probably a decent guy who was mm. completely off the rails. And I think the two guys recognised that. And I loved the way that they also kept that little secret as it were, of why that fishing yeah. trip went badly for the brother when they had to effectively deliver him back naked to Jesse's family house. I thought that was a really classy yeah. touch, which summed yeah. them up in terms of their, um, you know, the, the morals, I suppose. Their integrity. The, yeah, yeah, and their integrity that, that ran through all of their, all the characters and the father's character. And I thought that was really just good life lessons, if you like, that you could pull from mm. it. In terms of what I give it, I'm probably going to give this nine out of 10. I, I think I am wow. also a complete sucker for voiceovers if they're done well. And obviously this is prime voiceover territory, especially 
especially when they do that whole thing of it being told by the older version of the actor it's part of the story and when they kind of top and tail it and they go back to the old guy at the end and it's normally a touching ending or a touching message it always gets me i think it's like my Achilles heel. But, you know, it's a bit like Morgan Freeman, you know, at his best, I suppose, in mm-hmm. Shawshank, sure, that kind of thing. You. If it's done well, it just totally gets me. And along with everything else that I've said about it, it's going to be a nine for me. Oh, wow. That's good. That's good. I'm going to give it an eight, actually. Um, I toyed with eight and a half or eight, but there's a little bit of a plodding, but there, it is a beautiful watch. The cinematography is just stunning. And I think you classed it right. It is a great Sunday afternoon kind of film. Yeah. Definitely. It's a nice family film. Yeah. And it's PG as well, so even better. So, yeah, very good scores. No, I'm pleased with that. Good. So, the next one, Raya and the Last Dragon. Raya and the Last Dragon. So, this is the new Disney animation that you'll find on Disney+. And, well, it's kind of been billed as Disney's first Southeast Asian princess, along with this big A-list Asian cast as well, doing pretty much all of the voices. It's another just amazingly looking, dazzling picture, I think, right from the off. So this stars Kerry Marie Tran, Awkwafina and Gemma Chan. This is directed by Don Hall and Carlos Lopez. We've also got two co-directors on this as well. Don Hall also directed Big Hero 6. Uh, and he was one of the main writers of Moana mm. as well. In terms of writing credits, Ki Nguyen and Adele Lim wrote the screenplay, and then we got an additional eight credits for the story. So we join this with Princess Raya, who is riding on board this kind of armoured ball, which turns out to be a character called Tuk Tuk, half armadillo and half pug who, when rolled into a ball, forms this amazing form of transport. And so we start with Raya on board, tuk-tuk, racing across this desert wasteland with these occasional remnants of old settlements and statues and et cetera, et cetera. And I must admit, I thought it was an awesome opening. It was kind of quite mm. it was very impactful. It almost reminded me of some of the Star Wars stuff we've yeah, had recently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The way they've think. used that. Yeah, yeah. And it really it was like, wow, this is this this is it was really cool. And then the voiceover of Rare kicks in and immediately it sets up why we're seeing what we're seeing, which is this post-apocalyptic landscape, which is even how she references it. And we immediately rewind 500 years to tell this ancient story of how the world of Commandra, this harmonious, lush paradise guarded over by magic dragons, was wiped out by the Droon. And the Druun are these lifeless, evil spirits embodied in these clusters of cancerous black apparitions that appear, that effectively absorb people's soul and turn them to stone. So the dragons use their magic to create this glowing orb, which was then used by one of them, one of the dragons, Sisu, to ward off the Druun which brought all these all the people back to life from these stone statues, apart from the dragons, which remained in stone. So part of this folklore was this secret that Sisu managed to escape and lived at the very end of one of these tributaries of the many rivers in this world, and that he still lives there today. So when all the people kind of came back to life, they were all seduced by the power of the orb, which resided with one of the tribes, the Heart tribe, which is led by Rhea's father. 
Chief Benja. And from that moment on, their world was split into these five warring factions. And they were all obsessed with trying to get hold of the orb. I think it's also referred to as the dragon's gem. But Benja is determined to bring peace and reunite all of the tribes that bring peace and harmony back and restore Commandra, which he does or he attempts to do by inviting them all to this feast. But when Rhea befriends Namari, who's the daughter of the Fang tribe chief, and tells her the location of the orb, Namari betrays her, resulting in the orb being smashed into pieces, with each piece being taken by one of the tribes. This causes the re-emergence of the Druun, which begins to ravage its way through all the people again, turning them to stone and sucking all of the life out of their world. And Rhea's injured father sacrifices himself to allow his daughter to escape with her life and with their part of the gem to live out his wish to mend all the warring tribes and, as I say, restore harmony to Commandra. We then forward wind back to this same scene we began with, with Rhea racing across this wasteland with Tuk Tuk. And we start to see her then as this kind of lone ninja hero on the hunt to not only steal back all of the gem pieces from each tribe and in doing so restore the magic powers of the orb, but also track down help from Sisu who is believed to still be alive, the only surviving dragon who can also help harness the power of it. But years on from their encounter as children, her nemesis, Namari, who kind of kicked this whole thing off, is hot on her tail. I hope that all made sense. So I'm just going to leave it there. I'm past over to say, as I say, I saw this um, last night, so it's quite fresh in my memory. There are things I liked about it. But anyway, I will tell you all about that after we hear mm. from Sarah. From me. I thought I really enjoyed it. I watched it with my kids. We watched it on Friday night and with a pizza. And my eldest enjoyed it more than my youngest, I have to say, which I found unusual. But there are strong elements of Indiana Jones in there and Star Wars, as you mentioned, which are maybe usually more for the older children anyway. But we're looking at an animation here. I have to say, I'm expecting the Disney stores to have Tuk Tuk and the dragon uh, all ready to, to buy because they're so colourful and cute and cuddly and it was just like, oh, they're so sweet. So Tuk Tuk was actually played by Alan Tudyk and he has recently been in Resident Alien. He was also the pirate in uh, Dodgeball as well and uh, he doesn't really say anything and he just grunts and make funny, snuffly noises. And he's done that in other films as well. He's done a lot of voiceovers, but he's obviously good at making grunts and snuffly noises anyway in other films so that's obviously his forte yeah took took the the armadillo i, I nearly said it earlier dime bar armadillo <laughs> armadillo armadillo yes it was very un-armadillo it just had a shell like armadillo in it's the coolest vehicle i've very seen cute. In, yeah. in a film for a yeah. long time it's like the Mandalorian, as a, you know, when he was uh, yes. on his... Uh, yes. Yeah. Remember when he was had that little pod or whatever and he was, he was That's racing... That's right. And also, yeah. and also Tuk Tuk's a bit like BB-8 as well. The fact that it's... Yeah. It's, you know, it I could, think there's like, some influence There's got there. to be. There's, there's some influence, got definitely. But it was, yeah, very colourful. We do find Sisu quite early on in the film and she's very colourful and it's a water dragon and they put her, her water dragon skills to, to use as well to, to escape from from the nemesis the baddie and you get to go to all these different locations which actually is in the anatomy of a dragon all the different lands that they go to some are dark some are more colorful and and cheery but what the one of the lands i can't remember which one it was it was its spine before they got off this boat 
the lad that was steering the boat or whatever was said that this land is very much you have pickpocketers and you shouldn't trust anyone and of course the first thing they come across is a baby or a toddler and you can't trust that toddler because it's quite a clever toddler unfortunately his parents have been turned into stone and has befriended some monkeys and they get up to all sorts of tricks and stuff and start stealing the elements of the orb which Rhea is trying to collect all of them and yeah that's quite entertaining watching this toddler sort of being quite clever and pulling some stunts let's just say what else can I say really I just I just really liked it I liked the culture that it was trying to set it was very strong female led characters even Sisu was female you got Rhea you've got her enemies and female there's a couple of male characters in there obviously but you've got Benja the dad who is played by Daniel Day Kim who you may have seen in Lost and Insurgent series and Hellboy as well and you had also in one of the other lands there was there was a more male character so yeah most of the lands were female the leaders were and I thought good you know it's International Women's Day today and I thought yeah came out at the right time as well uh, you do have to pay for this at the moment I think it gets released on Disney Plus part of the subscription from June time so I bought the Premier Access on Disney Plus but I think you can also find it on Apple TV I think I saw an ad for it for it and there but no I generally enjoyed it and my as I said my kids was a good Disney watch and it had a similar vibe to, to Mulan at first but I think it's actually better than Mulan Oh, that's pretty interesting because I was chatting to someone about this today. I haven't seen Mulan. And I think, like you say, it's mm. you naturally do compare it. I mean, I think the first thing that stood out to me was just how, and again, it's frustrating, isn't it? You're watching on a small screen, so you're conscious that many of these films would be like if you were able to go to the cinema. But I think you kind of just take it for granted these days just how amazing the animation is. It's Quality so... Is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, there are some parts that I thought were more photorealistic than others. Specifically, I think those scenes we were talking about you know I, I think what i like about it is the scenery the mm. world in which it was set as i say those desert scenes mm. i thought were stunning probably more so than those with the more lush landscapes i suppose because you're more used to seeing those in these types of animated films you're more used to seeing the, the beautiful forests or the you know the yeah. rivers and the, or the woodland or whatever in these types of films so i thought it was really cool and I think, you know, say, kind of you thought thought of many other films, like live action films, where they might have taken bits mm. and pieces to come up with it. The way they did the water was amazing. And also the hair. Yes. I noticed attention to detail. The hair is yes. stunning. Yeah, Absolutely really right. It was those little moments. You're right. The hair was one in particular. You just think, wow, that's absolutely mm. jaw dropping. It's just incredible. Um, I thought... You're right. The characters were really strong. As usual, you get really just good, wholesome themes running through it that you just become used to, I suppose, to Disney's canon of animated movies. It's, it was fun. I thought Sisu was a great character. And I think when you first meet Sisu and you immediately see, oh, great, here's the kind of comedy character. I thought it mm. worked really well. Just felt like it almost needed that actually at that particular moment in time. Sometimes the story of the plot can be a little bit overly complicated with these films, but I, I thought it was just right. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about what I thought about it as an overview, mm. and I would just say it was just pretty good. I mean, yeah, I don't think it had anything in it in terms of the narrative or the characters or what it was trying to say that was, to me, as impressive as some of the animated films we've maybe seen before. I mean, I particularly like Soul, and I know that. Boats, some people's boats and not others but 
a very different type of film. This was just more kind of wholesome entertainment, but just done very, very well. You couldn't really kind of knock too many holes in this at all. And I just thought if you wanted to watch a really good family animated movie, then this is it. It's fantastic. And I think, like you say, for the female characters are in it, probably more so as well. And it, yeah, it just looks stunning. It was beautiful. So yeah, yeah. And I, I was comparing it to other Disney films as well. And I've got Soul on here. And actually, I think to watch, I probably prefer to watch this film than Soul. But I like the difference in the animation styles that they've got in Soul as well. So I'm actually going to give it the same score as what I gave Soul. And that is eight and a half out of ten. It's just very colourful and it's a great family watch. Yep, I'm going to give it eight out of ten. Yeah. That's a good score. Yeah, good um, scores for Disney. Yeah, brilliant. Say, just a really, really good, solid, solid film. It's it's just a shame because you did hear some people say, "Oh, crikey, it's it's not only on Disney Plus, but of course it's the premium." So you yeah, you have to pay. pay. Yeah, but I don't know. I think we're all going to get used to that. It will be interesting to see what happens with the premium Disney Plus films when cinemas mm-hmm. reopen. Whether they yeah. will feel like they have to either reduce that price if they bring it out at the same time, or whether they will take away i imagine they'll keep Mm. it but they're going to have to make it work in conjunction with the release times at the cinema so be interesting to see how they do that Mm. i don't think everyone is going to rush to the cinema just yet i think there's going to be some anxiety around covid still so i think they will still need to have maybe the same film that goes to cinema and is shown on digital channels as well uh, just to get the full return for them i feel but if you were to rewind to pre-covid days and let's hope we get there Mm, mm. rather than later where people can go to the cinema and not be worried and it being a safe place to go in other words we're kind of back to normal will disney plus be bringing out a film at the same time in the cinema that would warrant them charging what they are charging for these kind of premium plus films i'd just be interested to see whether they just just carry on doing it regardless of the fact that they've launched it during this particular period i mean if you could watch a film on exactly the same day that it comes out at the cinema but you've Mm. got to pay this much money for it does that still seem you know Mm. a viable option for people who love their films Mm. i mean it was 19 pound 99 you're going to pay more at the cinema aren't you so actually you might find but, people, but a lot of people but, a lot of yeah. people would counter that and say it's yes but it's not the same experience no it's not but depends what size screen you've got well yeah true but but whatever mm. size screen you've got it's never going to compete with the cinema screen and no. then of course, and if the, you think and of the, the sound as well and the yeah. sound you think of just the general experience you have of just going <laughs> to the cinema mm. it's never mm. going to compare to watching at home so that's why I wonder whether they've set the precedent for premium movies, which I believe will always be the case. It's just a question of whether that price point will shift when we get mm-hmm. back to normal or whether it will be as aggressive as it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch the space, I guess. Right. So we are looking now at the newbie and the oldie for this coming week. Shall we start with the new release that we've chosen? Yep, it is Escape from Pretoria. That's right, Escape from Pretoria, which is... I mean, if you're a Daniel Radcliffe fan and you probably only love him for his role, obviously, as Harry Potter, then this is a really, really uh, interesting watch because he's doing something which couldn't be further away from Harry Potter. It's the story of kind of a breakout from a jail in Pretoria in the 1970s, I believe. Yeah, where apartheid was in in South Africa. That's right. 
And I mean, if you look on IMDb, this is a 2020 release, but because of COVID, it didn't get a cinema release, or if it did, nothing of any note, especially over here. But it's only now just landed on Amazon Prime, I believe. That's right? right. Yes, streaming on Amazon Prime. So although it's not a brand new release in so much as it's, it's a 2021 release, we thought it was worthy of including this week. Definitely. Um, Looking forward to it. So this is a thriller and it's based on the real life prison break of two political captives, which is a race against time thriller set in the tumultuous apartheid days of South Africa, directed by Francis Annan and stars Daniel Radcliffe, Daniel Weber and Ian Hart. So I think everyone should enjoy that. It's definitely yeah. something different, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. And what is now becoming the all-important runtime <laughs> of our All right, program, yes, tell me, tell me, tell me. It's one hour and 46 minutes. It's coming in under the two-hour uh, mark. One hour, 46. So better go for a shorty. <laughs> <laughs> then the oldie, yeah, it's going to be off my list, isn't it? Yeah. So give me a genre. It's sci-fi. Sci-fi. Okay. So I have got, I've got 12. 12. I'm going to split it in the middle and go for six. Six is Donnie Darko. Oh, right. Okay. That's quite a good one, that one. I haven't seen that for a long time. Top of my head, that has got... Juicy. Oh, How long is it going to take? Come on, you can do it. You can do it. Uh, what is it? It is Gillinghall. Jake Gillinghall. Jake Gillinghall. How long did that take? Ridiculous. Okay, so whilst Sarah finds where you can watch Donnie Darko, I will give you the blurb. So after narrowly escaping a bizarre accident, a troubled teenager is plagued by visions of a man in a large rabbit suit who manipulates him to commit a series of crimes. And this is worth knowing. This is sci-fi, also drama, mystery. So I wouldn't say it's a conventional sci-fi, let's just say. This is directed by Richard Kelly and, yes, starring Jake Gyllenhaal, Jenna Malone and Mary McDonnell. It's streaming on Shudder TV, Arrow and Movie TV, which is tied to Amazon Prime. So I would have a look at Amazon Prime, but you can also rent and buy from most online channels. Yeah, exactly. And check out Sky, because quite often we don't say Sky, but quite often they are on Sky Cinema if you have a look. Prices for renting films obviously can change, but looking Mm. at it right now, you're only paying 99p to watch this. uh, Amazon Prime. Which is not bad, is it, if you you can't can't kind of get hold of it. All good. So a good mix this week. Very good mix. So hang on. We've got a bit of calculation to do, haven't we? So, oh, Donnie we do. Darko yeah. How long's that? is an hour and 53 minutes. Mm. Hang is on, so that's there? pretty close to the other one. What was the other one? Uh, one hour 46. So, it's three hours. It's one hour 39 minutes plus two hours. It's, it's four three, hours. It's three hours three. and 39 minutes. Three hours and 39 minutes. That's what I said. <laughs> Thank there goodness go. the children are back at school. <laughs> I think everyone can relate to that. In hours and minutes, it's, it's pretty tricky, especially after like two glasses of wine and a full day at work. Mm. Yeah, right. I so like Chewbacca then, didn't I? Did you hear that? <laughs> I did. Do it again. <laughs> Sarah's just realised that she does an amazing Chewbacca impression. Brilliant. I love it. Not bad. So the total runtime, three hours, 39 minutes, which is not the runtime. It could be your runtime or it could be your your exercise time for this following week. Okay, cool. Good. It's shorter than last week's. (laughs) Precisely. Excellent. Well, have a lovely week. 
I will, I will. shining, it's still a bit frosty, but it's still nice and sunny at the moment. TV films then that are on your radar outside of these two for this week. You've done WandaVision, it's all done. Mm. You've done Behind Her Eyes, is there anything else? Mm, I'm intrigued about... So Brian Cranston is in, at the moment, Your Honour. And apparently, I think it got nominated for Golden Globe. So I might check out Your Honour. You've just finished watching Shit's Creek, haven't you? Amazing. And you enjoyed that? Yeah, mm-hmm. give that a go, I would. And then also, we've started watching High Fidelity, which came started in 2020. And it's got Zoe Kravitz in it. It's it's based on the, the film High Fidelity. And it's like a TV series on the back of that. Yeah. Complete, I completely forgot. I've completely forgot. I did watch a film last week and it's oh. one of my best. And, and this is ridiculous. It's one of my best films, Evs. The Peanut Butter Falcon. Have you seen ah, it? Ah, yes. Yes, I have. Oh, it's very good. I Shia loved it. I loved it. It was yeah. amazing. I would totally recommend anyone who hasn't seen it because it's on Netflix at the moment. It won a few awards. It's, what, a couple of years old now. But brilliant, brilliant film with Shia LaBeouf putting yeah. in a great performance. Loved it. And Dakota Johnson. Charming, charming comedy drama, wasn't it? Yes, it was. No, it was good. So lots to watch. So enjoy. So we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, Rob. Bye. Bye.